1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love.
1: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Hi, everyone. I'm Becca. And I'm Sarah, and you're listening to Unsavory.
0: Yes, you are. Today, I wanted to start off by asking you a question, Sarah. Okay. If you have a baby and you're unable to breastfeed, what do you do? Wow, right into it. I would definitely use baby formula. Okay, right. (laughs) I feel like that would be (laughs) most people's answer. And Mm -hmm. it's often the first thing and sometimes the only thing that comes to people's minds. Like there are other options... Yes, but infant formula is normally number one. Today, we're going to cover a story of corporate greed that rocked the world in the 1970s. It's a story of white-collar crime, conformity bias, and the diffusion of responsibility. It has been referred to as the darkest chapter in corporate history where profits were prioritized over people. And we are covering the Nestle infant formula scandal I'm already stressed. I, I there's babies involved. I'm stressed. I know this was a very stressful one to research, but so so interesting that like I didn't know much about this one. Do you? Not at all. No.
1: Not only do I not know much about this story, but I also don't know much about pediatric nutrition or mm-hmm. formulas versus breast milk. I know the basic guidelines, but I think I'm going to learn a lot in this episode.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting how it's so unique and different and like the things that we need when we're younger we need much less variety breast milk or formula for the first 6 months exclusively like that's so it's so interesting but anyways i think this might be the biggest true crime story that we've ever told on the podcast it's one of those other ones like herbalife where i got so into the research that i could not believe that we had not covered it yet and the information was
1: endless okay are you ready yes i'm ready let's do this the information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently produced podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful.
0: And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Shout out to my sources for today's episode, which are all listed in the show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. Two of the main sources were a paper called A History of Infant Feeding by Stevens, Patrick, and Pickler, and a video by In the Shadows. In a massive trigger warning before we get started, this episode will discuss instances of infant malnutrition and mortality. I want to kick off this story by very clearly stating that the way you feed your child is your choice. Even though we will be discussing some of the extreme effects and criticisms of the use and misuse of infant formula, it in no way represents our views. Absolutely. Okay. So as we touch on in our intro, if you weren't breastfed as an infant, you were likely formula fed. But prior to the end of the 19th century, infants who were not breastfed by their mothers either had a wet nurse or were fed animal milk, which is funny because I actually never really thought about animal milk being used for infants before. Babies. I know. Me either. So I naturally read up on this wet nurse deal as well as the animal milk stuff. And it's so, so interesting. But from the 15th to 17th centuries, being a wet nurse was a desirable profession among women from lower income families because it paid really well. It wasn't uncommon for a woman to get pregnant, have a child, then get rid of her child and become a wet nurse.
1: That's very sad. Mm -hmm. Definitely tough times, but I bet you could make a ton of money doing that. Yeah. I mean, it seems so, but
0: authorities did pick up on this whole practice and the profession ended up becoming like extremely regulated. So the women had to have some physicals done prior to being hired on as a wet nurse And they were forbidden from breastfeeding other children until they were nine months post-birth, kind of forcing Mm -hmm. people to keep their own children and nurture them.
1: Hmm. Well, people do love to regulate how women use their bodies. This is true, unfortunately. (laughs) And it
0: started, well, it definitely started before the 15th century, but it was still going strong then as it is today. (laughs) Okay, so these women were often hired by wealthy aristocratic families where it was seen as unfashionable to feed their own child. But they were also hired by some working women where it was cheaper to hire a wet nurse than it was to hire somebody to help with their husband's businesses.
1: I find that so interesting. And just thinking about, like, the different pressures women have faced throughout the years, probably since the beginning of time, about how to feed their children properly. Like, Mm -hmm. that it was uncool to feed to breastfeed your own child at a certain point in a certain society and at the same time in other circles. And even now, women can be shamed for not breastfeeding. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I mean, even during the same time, there were other countries that breastfeeding was required. It was a part of the culture.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there'd be no
0: other option, really. No other option at, at that time. So bottles were also used to feed infants either human or other animals' milk. But during the early 19th century, they didn't really know how to properly clean the bottles. And that, combined with improper storage and sterilization of milk, unfortunately led to the death of about one-third of all non-breastfed infants within the first year of their life.
1: One-third. One-third. That's devastating. It's a sad number, eh? Yep. With the discovery of germ
0: theory in the 1860s, which we talk about in our Typhoid Mary episode, came better sanitation practices, as well as modern improvements on bottles and the availability of animals' milk, mainly cow's milk. And bottle feeding started to become like a more popular choice. Uh, But studies that compared the composition of human milk against animal milk found that human milk was the best source nutritionally for infants. It had certain antibodies that can help protect infants from infections and diseases early on, and it can have positive effects on children into adulthood which is why it is recommended to breastfeed exclusively for the first six months of life if you can.
1: That's so interesting. And I know right now they don't even really recommend introducing dairy milk until like nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think
0: it's, and I'll kind of get into this, but plain dairy milk, it's harder to digest Mm -hmm. and it includes certain proteins that aren't as easily digested as well as the fat. And so- Basically, what researchers did back then was they kind of took like cow's milk, compared it to breast milk, and then tried to mimic breast milk with the cow's milk. Interesting. So they kind of used cow's milk as their canvas. But the modi- modification that needed to be made more specifically—here, I have it written down right here. One sec. Uh, <laughs> so they took some of the animal fat in the milk, and they replaced it with yeah. vegetable oils. And then they okay, diluted the protein content and adjusted certain nutrient compositions— like adding iron and then adjusting mm-hmm. the calcium phosphorus ratio. So, I think that those reasons right there are kind of why it's not recommended. Interesting. In 1865, a chemist named Justice von Liebig created and marketed a liquid formula consisting of cow's milk, wheat flour, malt flour, and potassium bicarbonate.
1: That name, Justice von Liebig, sounds so familiar. Have we talked about him before?
0: Yeah. Funny you ask. We actually have. I don't remember if we actually like talked about him if, or if he just came up a lot in the research in the organic foods episode, but he was also known for his discovery of nitrogen as being essential to plants. He came up a lot, like a lot, a lot, when I was researching that episode because he's considered the father of the fertilizer
1: industry. Wow. Mm-hmm. Bet his LinkedIn was popping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of projects on the go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So with Liebig's success with the product, others started to follow. And by 1883, there were 27 infant food brands. One of these brands was Nestle's Food.
1: Okay, so his formula must have been pretty successful and safe if it caught on so quickly and other companies were like, ooh, we got to get on this.
0: Yeah, and I I do think that there was probably just like such a need for it too, from women who couldn't breastfeed or who were choosing not to breastfeed. And so once they heard about a milk that was more fortified and easier to digest for their child, they were probably lining up to get it. So I I understand. For sure. In the 1870s, Nestle launched their first product called Farine Lacte, which in English literally means milky flour. Hmm. I think, unless my translation is incorrect. (laughs) It was made from malt cow's milk, sugar, and wheat flour, and it was deemed the first complete artificial formula available on the market since it required no milk to prepare. So it was a powdered formula that you just added water to, and it was right around the time that evaporated milk was invented. So they used that in the formula, which made it that complete formula, and it helped with its preservation. Cool. Mm -hmm. The formulas in general continue to improve with fortification, and they even created some soy-based versions for infants who were allergic to cow's milk. And with that being said, I feel like the infant formula industry had very savory beginnings. It seemed like they were motivated by the well-being of infants and children
1: at first. At first. So savory before it becomes unsavory. unsavory. (laughs) Which is always the case.
0: It's always savory before it's unsavory.
1: Which is why we're talking about it.
0: (laughs) At least when it comes to crime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By the 1950s, doctors and mothers around the world regarded the use of formula to be a safe substitute for milk. And as a consequence, breastfeeding steadily decreased until the 1980s.
1: Okay, so something happened in the 1980s.
0: Yes, yes it did. And we will get (laughs) to that very soon. So the formula wasn't just being used by mothers who couldn't breastfeed, but mothers who were going into the workforce and others who simply chose not to breastfeed. At the time, Nestle was selling the bottles for about 50 cents a pop, which in today's money should be around the $10 mark. But when I looked up the Nestle formula costs today, it ranges from about $20 to $50 online. So I feel like they have their own inflation. Inflation. (laughs) Nothing is safe from inflation. <laughs> Nothing is safe. I read somewhere that you go through about forty tins of five hundred gram formula in the first six months with an infant. So that's about an extra eight hundred dollars minimum in addition to the many other expenses that come with having a baby. Wow! In order to feed your baby formula,
1: it's huge. That's yeah. that's a significant amount of money, especially if breastfeeding's free. It's free. It's safe.
0: If you can do it, obviously. If you can do it, yeah. And infant formula is the next best safe option if you're unable to breastfeed. For sure. So it should come as no surprise to hear that baby formula is actually one of the most stolen items from stores, accounting for 13% of all stolen items. That's so sad. I know. And I do think that stolen formula should like kind of be a write-off. Like We should just let mothers take it and not prosecute anyone for this crime. It's clearly a desperate
1: situation to feed a baby. Mm -hmm. Let them have it. Yeah, Society can absorb that loss
0: somehow. Exactly. And I mean, in the States, if we're going to force women to have children, they should be Mm -hmm. able to feed them. Great point. Okay. Now this is where stuff gets a little bit sinister. Nestle sales spiked in North America in the 1950s following the post-World War II baby boom. But this new customer growth couldn't last forever. And in the 1960s, birth rates began to decline. With profit to maintain and stakeholders to satisfy, Nestle kind of had a big problem. They needed to find more babies. And the answer was pretty clear. They would look for a new customer base in countries that had been fairly untapped by their influence up to this point. And those were developing countries. I don't like where this is going already. Mm -mm. So in the 1970s, they brought their products into Asia, Africa, and South America, but they had... Another issue, only about one in five women were unable to breastfeed in these areas. What an issue. (laughs) It was their issue. Should be a
1: positive, yeah.
0: The world was happy with that. Mm -hmm. So very few were actually like needed access to these formulas. Plus it was so expensive, meaning in many of these countries, families would be required to use up to 40% of their income to purchase it. And it, it just didn't really make sense logistically,
1: but they persisted there was no need i also do kind of wonder sometimes in asia south america there can be more communal societies and so it things like wet nurses might have been more common yeah i wonder like if there really really wasn't a need if one in 5 women were unable to breastfeed and then the one woman that was unable to breastfeed probably had support from her community
0: yeah wet nurse or is receiving donated milk you wouldn't consider that wet nursing
1: that wouldn't be no a milk bank Milk bank, that's what Wouldn't it is. would be a wet nurse. But I don't know a lot about how they're run or anything like that. I think people just donate their excess breast milk.
0: Yeah. No, I had a girlfriend who um, she was overproducing. And so she was yeah. saving it. And she was able to save it, like, obviously very in a very sanitary way. And then you put it mm-hmm. in the freezer. And then you bring the frozen product. And I think they test it. They do all of this, like, the stuff there at the hospital. But I think yeah. it's, like, pretty... I don't know if it's actually that easy to donate, but it seemed, based on what her experience, that it was fairly simple for her to do. And cool, it obviously is probably now helping children, which is great. No,
1: that's a great option.
0: Yeah, I know. I, in Canada, I do believe you would be able to get that included with our health care, but I do think in the states you have to pay for it. And I saw somewhere—I I don't know if this is true—but I quickly read that it was about six thousand dollars a week. I don't know if that's true, but oh my gosh! Oh, I would be upset if it was.
1: That's unattainable.
0: Mm -hmm. So unattainable.
1: Wow. Okay, back to the story. We got distracted.
0: There are a few things that uh, Nestle needed to break into these new markets. So as you said, they needed to create a need. They also needed to provide free samples to get women hooked and Mm -hmm. to link their products to a desirable lifestyle. And the last one was pretty easy for them. They had ads and billboards plastered everywhere almost all of them using imagery of healthy white babies. They tried to glamorize their products by implying that westernized mothers were all using it and that children were stronger and healthier because of it. Wow. Yes. But then how do you create a need for a formula where there isn't a need? So you have all this advertising, but you still need the mothers to need the formula. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do this, you have to try to make breastfeeding seem inferior. So they used their advertisements to do this, of course, including one headline that stated, when breast milk fails. And they would even send saleswomen dressed as nurses into hospitals to talk to patients. At one point, they had over 5,000 saleswomen on the ground in these lower income countries. When this practice was ultimately banned in hospital settings, the fake nurses were instructed to gather information about these families. So go into hospitals and find their home addresses and visit them once they were discharged from the hospital.
1: Wow, that's so
0: messed up. Yeah, and then they also were advised to campaign the streets looking for homes with drying cloth diapers outside. Wow. So then they would go and knock on the doors, provide free formula samples, and discuss the benefits with any of the families that were willing to listen. Oh, my God. All while presenting themselves as medical health professionals. That's so twisted. It's the most twisted, and I cannot believe that they got away with it. I can't even believe that they thought of the idea and were like, this is a good idea.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's keep moving on. That's just so fucked up. Yeah.
0: But this whole promotion, it was definitely intended to create like this fear around breastfeeding and mm-hmm. to increase levels of anxiety in these women and like their like their perceptions of motherhood. Yeah. And guess what anxiety does? Makes everything
1: miserable? I don't know <laughs> what it's That do? it does. <laughs> and it can impact lactation. Oh, my God. So then supply starts to go down, like breast milk supply. Exactly. <gasps>
0: so increased levels of stress can decrease milk production, meaning these mothers that may not have needed this formula before may now need it.
1: Wow. How convenient
0: for Nestle. Nestle also set up shop in maternity wards providing lots and lots of free products and baby bottles. They wanted to get the attention of mothers within the first few hours after they gave birth to provide them with free samples and allegedly with the intention of interfering with the mother's initial milk supply. Wow. The first hour postpartum is especially important. And if an infant does not take to the breast, the supply slows down like pretty quickly. Nestle also sent sales reps in to talk to doctors and nurses. They would shower them with gifts and in turn, the hospitals began giving them more pull. They even became involved in the infrastructural design of some maternity departments, funding the creation of wards that were apparently a further distance from the maternity rooms, making it much more difficult for mothers to get to their babies to breastfeed. Wow. Mm -hmm. But Nestle was not the only one guilty of this or apparently guilty of this. Abbott actually helped design over 200 maternity wards in hospitals across the U.S. Mm -hmm. And as of 2017, they were still involved in the infrastructural design of maternity departments in parts of Asia and Africa.
1: Well, I hope the wards are closer to the maternity rooms. Like, I wonder if that design flaw has been corrected. I know. I always
0: wondered why. Like, I understand to keep the nurses efficient, kind of all in one centralized area for the babies, but I always mm -hmm. wondered why maternity wards existed. Like, are they really necessary? Does it really save that much time for
1: nurses? I don't know. I don't know either. I feel like both you and I are kind of, we haven't actually experienced, we have no experiences with breastfeeding. We have no experience with formula yet. And so there's a lot of like, I don't know. For me in this one, anyways. I know we could sound like complete idiots yeah. to a seasoned mother. <laughs> or even like, like maternity room versus wards, like today, would they still separate mothers and their babies? No, I think they stay together. So that wouldn't be I, an issue yeah. here, at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think now they just put them in like a bassinet or something. Yeah. Uh, near
1: the mom. Side by side. I wouldn't want my baby going into another room. No.
0: Skin to skin. What if they get mixed
1: w- up with another baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It happens. And you raised the wrong baby your whole life. Yeah. Maybe we'll redo this episode in like however many years when we both have a baby and we'll be like, huh,
0: how little we knew. <laughs> yeah, or we'll just listen to it and be extremely embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. More likely that one. <laughs> uh, okay. So there was nothing actually wrong with the formula itself. As I mentioned, it was nutritionally adequate when compared to breast milk. And they really did seem to do a pretty good job at like making it. As nutritionally adequate as they could to breast milk, and safe from a food safety perspective,
1: mm-hmm. not a bad option.
0: Yeah, and plus, millions of infants who had relied on the formula in North America mm-hmm. had already grown up to be healthy children and, and healthy adults. Um, so there was nothing like technically wrong with the products themselves, yeah. if they were prepared with uncontaminated water. Oh,
1: okay. Mm-hmm.
0: In the 1970s and still today, many of the lower-income communities in these countries did not have access to safe drinking water. So often, surface water was used that contained harmful bacteria that could obviously cause infection or disease. Sanitation practices weren't as well recognized, therefore they weren't necessarily prioritized either. For instance, in West Africa, some kitchen stoves were set up to cook over a campfire with Mm -hmm. three stones to support one cooking pot. So with this setup, it was almost impossible to boil water for each feeding and to sterilize the feeding equipment for every feed, plus to cook food for themselves and the rest of their families.
1: Right. That fire would have to be running all day. And just like the time it would be required to bring a water to boil, boil it for what, 20 minutes and then let it cool. They just timing it wouldn't work out.
0: Yeah, they would need to be there. All all dang day. Wow. And apparently newborn babies, they eat between 8 to 12 times a day. So like wow, who literally knew? all day. So one study found that about 80% of all bottles at this time had some level of bacterial contamination.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Doesn't mean that it impacted all of the babies.
1: Right. But the risk was there.
0: Yes. Another major issue that we briefly touched on was the price of formula. Since many of the families who needed or had the perception that they needed it, were spending around 40% of their income on it. So many mothers began diluting the products to make it last longer. Hmm. In Barbados, one study conducted in 1969 found that 82% of mothers were diluting four days' worth of formula (gasps) to last between
1: five days and three weeks. No. Oh, my gosh. The little babies weren't getting enough. Mm -hmm. It's so sad. I know. And this obviously resulted
0: in many instances of chronic malnutrition
1: mm-hmm.
0: and a condition called marasmus becoming more common. Mm-hmm. And this is a condition associated with a deficiency in protein and energy. And it was often referred to as lactogen syndrome. And lactogen was the name of another Nestle product on the market at that time.
1: Oh, so it got the name from the product that was being diluted, probably. Yeah. Wow. The product that was available, yeah, in that area. Interesting. So, in other instances,
0: mothers would add sugar, water, and cornstarch to formula to like stretch it out for longer, and this resulted in another disease called kwashioko, Mm -hmm. which is associated with a severe deficiency in protein. So, not necessarily energy, but Mm -hmm. specifically protein. Yeah. Infants suffering from malnutrition are more vulnerable to infection and diarrhea, and ultimately. One of the greatest predictors of infant death became these formulas. An infant using formula in conditions without safe sanitation practices was 25 times more likely to die from diarrhea and dehydration. Oh my
1: gosh. And
0: four times more likely to die from pneumonia than their breastfed counterparts. Wow. And even those who survived experienced and continue to experience many of the permanent effects of that were caused by malnutrition during this critical developmental stage.
1: Wow. And this is like, what's so sad is that prior to the formula coming to these places, none of these were issues. Mm -hmm. We have breasts that are like built in perfect nutrition for babies if you're able to produce breast milk and breastfeed.
0: Yeah, so it was one in five who would need to seek additional support, but it slowly became way more than that. Wow. And when these issues, when they were initially brought up to Nestle, their argument was that the issue was one of the misuse of their products and not the products themselves, which is technically true. Yeah, I guess. But should they be held accountable for advertising in areas where they knew the conditions were not appropriate?
1: And- looking at houses to see who has diapers hanging out drying and then going to that house to see if they to like push formula basically yeah without knowing any of the demographics yeah. i'm sure they knew the
0: demographics but not taking them into consideration in those communities terrible it gets even worse <laughs> great i'm so sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> most of the instruction and nutrition labels were printed in english mm. meaning if you didn't know how to read english you wouldn't know how to prepare the formula properly. Even when the instructions were printed in an appropriate language, many of the developing communities that were targeted had low literacy levels. What were perhaps unintended consequences at first became very much expected as corporate greed seemed to take over and their promotion and sales continued. Hmm. A study by the National Bureau of Economic Research estimated that in 1981, at the peak of this controversy, the mortality rate that could be linked to the availability of Nestle formula with 66,000 infants in one year. Oh my gosh. Today, that number ranges from 800,000 to 1.5 million deaths a year. Although these numbers are estimated based on infant formula generally, so not just Nestle's. But Nestle, one of the biggest players.
1: So this is all still going on. This has not been resolved. No. 800,000 to 1.5 million infants are still dying because of formula misuse. Yeah. So I watched this excellent, excellent like retelling
0: of the facts of the story. And then I was like, I can't believe this number. So I yeah. looked it up and there were a few sources that had the same number. I think it was from this National Bureau of Economic Research, but it had been repeatedly used
1: in sources. Wow. That's astounding. And I still can't believe it. Yeah.
0: I might check again before we're done recording just to make sure that it's the right number.
1: Yeah. That's astounding. I know. What's more, even more astounding is that nobody seems to talk about it that much or we don't know about it. For sure. When you said you were going to cover this story and that it was a scandal, I was very much under the impression that like it happened in the 80s and we had recovered. There was better information out there now. Yeah. That's really upsetting.
0: Yeah. Like at this point sales overseas didn't continue without pushback. Okay. So people were starting to get angry. Mm -hmm. In 1974, a 12-page report titled The Baby Killer was released by an anti-poverty organization based out of London, England called The War on Want. In this report, they hold Nestle accountable for the deaths of infants around the world due to their manipulative marketing tactics, promoting formula as superior to breastfeeding in these developing countries. Wow. Nestle figured they had a defamation case on their hands, so they sent two representatives to a pediatric ward in Nairobi, Kenya, and I think they did this maybe to gather information for a lawsuit. I, I don't actually like, don't really know. Mm-hmm. But when these representatives arrived, they witnessed an infant who was fed on Nestle formula lose their life right in front of them, and they ended up leaving the hospital without completing the task they were sent there to do. Wow, what I read was apparently this ward was almost exclusively infants who were malnourished because of Nestle formula.
1: Being diluted or was it not nutritionally complete? Either infections because they were malnourished, malnourishment,
0: infections because of the water. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, There's just such
0: a variety of things that kind of came from this. Yeah, But I think they had like a section. I don't know if maybe the area was just being supplied with Nestle formula or if they had like a specific section dedicated to infants on certain formulas. I'm guessing it's probably because... They just had the formula in the community Mm -hmm. that they knew it was Nestle. Okay. So the baby killer report was then later translated in Sweden, and the translated title was quite literally, Nestle Kills Babies. Nestle tried to sue the organization for $5 million, but apparently when they saw the evidence that the other side had against them, they withdrew most of their complaints, except for the complaint about the title of the report, Nestle Kills Babies. (laughs) I mean, that title really goes for the jugular. It's straightforward. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because the groups could not prove that Nestle had intentionally killed any infants, mm-hmm. the judge was forced to side with Nestle. But they only made the group pay $400 in charges and required them to change the report name. The judge also told Nestle that they must change their publicity methods so they weren't really seen as like the victim here. They just won. They won the battle, not the war. Okay. In 1977, after more awareness and public disapproval, protests began breaking out and a boycott was formed called the Infant Formula Action Coalition, or in fact. Their sole purpose was to protest against Nestle's unethical marketing practices. And Nestle's own website today addresses this whole thing and states, this boycott was dropped in 1984. So I think maybe formally it was, but there's still live, in fact, websites and work being done around these issues by this coalition.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. So I thought Hmm. it was an interesting comment. One of the reasons I think the boycott was potentially dropped was because a new set of regulations called the Code. In 1978, following the start of the boycott, which is important to remember, it started after the boycott, Senator Edward Kennedy brought the issue of the infant formula to the Senate. So the World Health Organization and the United Nations then finally stepped in, and in 1979, uh, they created the International Code of Marketing and Breast Milk Substitutes, AKA the code. And the code prohibited certain practices, including promoting formula products in hospitals, giving out free samples, providing misleading information using misleading images or text, giving gifts to medical professionals, promoting products designed for infants under six months of age, Hmm. as well as requiring all labels to be written in a language that is understood in the country it is being promoted in, and including a prominent health warning label.
1: Good. (laughs) All of those are such good rules to have in place. Yes. But remember...
0: This code was created in 1979, and you might mm-hmm. remember from earlier in this episode, I mentioned that the peak of the crisis was in 1981, Uh-oh. two years okay. after the code was created, because the code was seen more of a set of recommendations to follow and not rules. So they really, all, like all of the infant formula organizations kind of took it as voluntary. Cool. They didn't <laughs> need to join if they didn't want to. Okay. Um and many of the American formula companies consider these practices to infringe on their free speech and their ability to trade. So, they would do things like translate the instructions in the appropriate languages but keep the warning labels in English. Wow, which makes me feel sick.
1: Yeah, this is just getting dirty. Like it's not even it's not very subtle. No. The tactics that are being used, they're shady. And why would
0: they even need to be subtle? Yeah. They weren't being penalized for anything.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, because they should care about the lives of the babies. exactly. (laughs) But they clearly don't.
0: Uh. Okay, so after more pushback, in 1982, Nestle finally created their own policy to reflect some of what was in the code. And they updated it in 1984 after consulting with the WHO, UNICEF, and some outside organizations. Why it took five years? I can only imagine was due to significant profits. Mm. So you'll remember, I think I said, yeah, the boycott was dropped in 1984. And so I think that's, maybe they had an agreement with the coalition, the boycott coalition, once they updated their own policies.
1: Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. So today, issues of infant formula continue. Earlier this year, it was reported that a few infants had died due to the consumption of contaminated Similac products going back to as early as 2021. Wow. So this is an Abbott product, by the way, not Nestle, mm-hmm. but one of the major plants shut down, contributing to some of the like global supply chain issues and the associated oh, baby wow. formula shortage.
1: Was that... So, that was like the catalyst to the formula shortage that we've been hearing so much about. So, there were some issues before just because of like the supply chain issues. Yeah. Just COVID related, inflation related ingredients getting from
0: point A to point B and getting like shipping it out to different countries and communities. Mm -hmm. But then, when this Similac plant plant shut down, I think it really kind of pushed it to the next step.
1: For sure. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I just feel like this is also devastating because. Like, we're talking about infants, just innocent Mm -hmm. little helpless infants and parents just trying to feed their babies. I know. That's honestly why I find this
0: story or these stories so bizarre. It's sickening. Is that we continue to fail like one of the most vulnerable populations. Yes. And like, we're not taking better precaution with their like, life-saving meal replacements. No, it's really devastating. I know. I couldn't find... Like anything of substance, really, that said that Nestle was punished any other way other than financially, which mm. doesn't really seem like enough, in my opinion. But yeah, sorry, that's the that's the story and the pretty that's unsatisfying it. ending. Oh my goodness, the infant formula scandal.
1: That I is there a doc on this? I want to watch that doc you mentioned.
0: Oh yeah, so there is a documentary called Tiger. Yeah. And I couldn't, it's not available on any of the streaming platforms I have, but I want to watch it.
1: Yeah, me too. Because this is fascinating. Like you told it wonderfully. I Thank you. Again, I feel like I say this all the time, but like, how did I not know more about this? I know. The marketing tactics are, yeah, the marketing tactics are wild and really disgusting. Sorry, I'm a little bit speechless.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the documentary, it's Tigers with an S. Mm. If you type in Tiger into Google with the word documentary, all you're going to get is Tiger Woods documentaries. (laughs) But it's the true story being retold of a Nestle salesman in Pakistan. And he takes on like the Nestle formula industry because of the going ons that he kind of saw while he was there. And I think he was like chased out of his town and stuff. I wasn't able to watch the documentary because it's not available on Netflix, but I'm going to try to get access to it because I think it would be really interesting to see this story be told in action from a different perspective. For sure.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to try to find that for tonight. It sounds so interesting, and this story has been really eye-opening. I find anything that has to do with, like, women and motherhood and everything about this, from, like, the wet nurse situation being regulated and, you know, the lengths that women will go through to feed their children— It's all so interesting and devastating. I know. It -hmm. is
0: devastating, but mothers will do what they feel like they need to do.
1: Absolutely. And it's
0: so unfortunate that these massive organizations are, like, capitalizing on that.
1: Yes. That's exactly it, that these are mothers trying to feed their babies in the best way possible. And if they've been manipulated with wrong information or, you know, maybe accurate information just coming at a vulnerable time— to try something that they didn't even need to try, and then it's mm-hmm. actually way less safe, that's awful. And it's too late to go back. Yeah. Once wow. they get started on it. Well, this story was definitely unsavory.
0: What are we covering? I can't even remember what we're covering next, but I hope it's more uplifting.
1: Oh, I remember. <laughs> oh, it's not more uplifting. <laughs> it's not uplifting, but it might, in a way, be lighthearted. I don't know. Oh. Gross but light-hearted. I haven't started writing it yet, so we'll see how I feel after the research. Yeah, who knows where it will take you. It's yeah. a
0: really interesting one, though. It's one you're not going to want to miss, and it's very much
1: Halloween-y themed. Yeah, on theme for Halloween. That's mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> okay. Good job, Becca. Great story. Thanks so much. I need to go like pet my dog for a bit so that I can cheer up, because that was really yeah. sad.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all of the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends. This is the best way that you can support us for free. If you'd like to donate to our podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. For more information, follow us on Instagram at unsavorypodcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Jeff Devine. Learn more at Jeff Divine Sound on Instagram.